Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of May 31st, 2022, the last day of May. And this is officially Welcome episode the 517, the week of May 31st. And this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. Yes, last day of May we had uh, Memorial Day yesterday, so I guess that means it's officially summer. Well, at least here, um, you know, United States, and that's kind of how that's dictated by, I guess, the uh, shopping and the pools open and all that fun stuff. So, eh, it's not really officially summer technically until June 21st, but uh, why not? Here in Ohio, we just had... Uh, snow on the ground probably not even two months ago so i'll take it if uh, summer is here i'm excited for it why not yes uh very hot today so it feels like summer to me was uh peaked out at uh, over 90 degrees fahrenheit here and it's uh currently 86 and sunny where i'm sitting well not where i'm sitting but uh, outside of where I'm sitting. It's not that hot here in the studio. It's a, it's a cool 71.6 degrees where I'm sitting, but you didn't come here for the weather. You came here for the paranormal news, and we've got plenty of it tonight. We've got a lot of uh, UFO and ghost stuff. It's weird. Um, last week, we didn't have any cryptid news, and uh, this week, no cryptid news either. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, some Fake Bigfoot hoaxed videos are still making the rounds, and uh, uh, they're still talking about that Loch Ness monster sighting from like two months ago. And nothing else, nothing else is uh, swirling in the wind. It's uh, weird. I don't think I've ever gone two weeks without talking about something in the cryptid news. But uh, we got plenty of stuff to make for, up for it tonight, especially in the UFO news. A lot of stuff coming out, a lot of stuff swirling uh, after, you know, the public congressional hearing. Uh, still a lot of fallout from that. Uh, so kind of excited about that, see where it's going to lead. You know, we wasn't sure um, where it was going to lead, what was going to happen. But apparently uh, it's still getting the attention of, of some people. And uh, one of those people, well, I guess it's not really people, but an organization in our first UFO news story. I think it's a pretty big story, kind of a change of, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, kind of attitude or, or their belief in all of this stuff. NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, is on board with helping to search for UAPs. Yes, you know, unidentified aerial phenomena. And, of course, UFOs, uh, which the government is trying to distance themselves from that language. 
although they're the ones that created that in the first place. Uh, so this is a step away from the organization's long-held distancing from the topic. They really didn't want anything to do with UFOs or UAPs for the longest time, but all of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we heard some rumors, and now they've uh, officially, well, maybe not officially, but, um, uh, well, I guess they have a spokesperson has stepped up and uh, has talked about this. So NASA looks like they're uh, turning the cheek a little bit. It makes you wonder why. Why all of a sudden, why after all these years, you know, we've been talking about UAP sightings for a few years now, and it's gained a lot of momentum. And uh, they still maintain their distancing from all of this. Uh, so you may wonder, well, why? Why now? And uh, of course... You wouldn't expect it, but um, the Daily Mail of all places actually broke this story and uh, has been proven through multiple sources. So a NASA spokesperson, Karen Fox, who is the senior science communications officer, states that the organization is, quote, evaluating how to provide our expertise in space-based observations to improve understanding of UAPs, unquote. Yeah, so, yeah, that's uh, weird to hear you, uh, UAP coming from NASA. Um, you know, NASA has always been about what's out there. Uh, other planets, exoplanets, uh, since uh, what, 2004, they've been discovering hundreds, now thousands of exoplanets with the thought that Intelligent life might be out there, at least basic life might be out there, and, and we can discover it, and uh, it'll change the world. Meanwhile, uh, you know, all the UFO enthusiasts are saying, hey, um, NASA, I want you to look on this uh, little blue ball here first. And uh, that does make sense. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't NASA's thing. But now they've... Uh, Kind of, uh, I think they've kind of been asked to do so. Uh, so Karen Fox also added, she said, quote, the limited number of high quality observations of unidentified aerial phenomena, which includes reported objects that cannot be immediately identified by individuals, currently makes it impossible to draw scientific conclusions about the nature of UAPs, unquote. So. Yeah, it's a little bit of uh, incentive. Incentive with the uh, the little S with those two straight lines through it. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all about money. Uh, they stated uh, here in this article that NASA has, quote, consulted with multiple government agencies, unquote, into how they can assist. Uh, but they have denied that they are setting up their own dedicated UAP office, which that wouldn't really make sense anyway. You don't need uh, separate individual offices uh, as long as they're getting reports and uh, you know putting them together in the way that uh, the main organization wants them to and, and giving that information out. Uh, hopefully it's not... Uh, classified or redacted beyond belief uh, it should only be really one office that's disseminating all this information anyway when you have multiple layers that's when things go wrong and that's when uh, things get lost 
and delayed and hidden and buried and locked into a crate in a giant warehouse. Uh, sources feel this project may include uh, gathering evidence from astronauts who purportedly encounter unidentified objects while in space. And I'm sure that'll make a lot of conspiracy theorists happy. Uh, people who constantly are uh, screen capping and recording uh, space flight stuff and, and swear they see UAPs. Although there's a lot of junk floating around space. And that's um, really hard to get good perspective when you're looking at a video of just how vast and uh, how far you can see when you're up there. And all the, the little things that look a lot bigger than what they really are. Uh, but they have uh, reported strange things flying around up there. So maybe it's time that uh, we can uh, move the veil on that as well. You know, we're talking about pilots and uh, other people. Well, astronauts, you know, they're spending a lot of time observing and uh, what better vantage point than up there in space looking down? Um, and with that, uh, sources also state that the Pentagon's UFO team has requested camera footage from the space shuttle missions that actually deal with some of their investigation efforts. And that goes way back. Space shuttle missions, so... That's pulling some old archive footage, some some uh, VHS cassettes out of the drawer, probably. That's, that's going back uh, quite a ways with that stuff. But uh, NASA is always looking for potential life in outer space. And, and now it's nice that they're turning the cameras back toward Earth uh, to hopefully try and find something intelligent here. Well, we don't think we have yet. So it's not likely. Uh, I feel this isn't so much a scientific move as they seem to indicate. Um, you know, they, they talk a lot about science in this article and, and discovering things. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I think they've been asked to do so in a nice way. But uh, a political one is uh, pretty evident. Uh, NASA has always, like I said, always stood adamant that there are no such things as UFOs, and that we have a much better chance of finding intelligent life in the exoplanets and other solar systems and, you know, other galaxies and other, you know, just not here, not in, not in our solar system, and especially not around our planet. So what's changed? What has uh, gone on? I mean, obviously, the public outcry and the uh, meeting a couple of weeks ago shows that the general public is concerned. Uh, politicians are concerned. Whenever politicians are concerned, uh, there's money moving around. So if the politicians are concerned about this and this is becoming a public thing, uh, the public is going to want money spent. And you got to go where the money is. So financial funding will definitely be going uh, toward these projects. Uh, NASA's budget is about 0.5%, 0.5, not even 
not even 1% of the total annual federal budget, uh, which is set forth by the United States Congress. Uh, there's around uh, $22.6 billion, billion spent for NASA, $22.6 billion. I would take 0.5% of that. Sure, I could pay some bills. And uh, $22.6 billion is uh, 0.5% of $4.7 trillion, which is how big the budget is. Somebody's cooking the books for sure. Uh, and if you look back, uh, the race to the moon and the national security threat way back, you remember that times, back in the 1960s, there was the national security threat by the Soviet Union. The public was concerned. Uh, we were, you know, raring to go to the moon. It's a space race. We had to win. You know, and that led to the the 1980s and the hockey game, I guess, in the Olympics. But anyway, uh, at that time, the 1960s, there was an all-time high of 4% of the national budget uh, shoveled to NASA to uh, strap together some rockets and get us to the moon. Unfortunately, after successfully making it to the moon, the uh, perceived threat was mitigated. And after the public didn't really care too much, uh, the budget dried up. So NASA is well aware of how all that stuff works. And you got to go where the money is. So I, I think there's a huge financial... Um, incentive for them to open up to this. But I also think that there's a lot of pressure from Congress and uh, by those who do write these checks uh, for them to release some data, release some information, as well as to uh, tap into the scientists that uh, understand how space works and understand how near-Earth objects are and uh, can track these things for sure. NASA's got a lot of technology uh, out and about. Not It's not just the eyes in the sky and, and the people who have been up in space. It's, it's about the technology, too. And uh, since it's on the payroll, I'm sure they're being reminded, hey, we check your budget every year. So uh, I think there's a little bit of elbowing going on toward NASA. So I think that's, uh, you know, shouldn't be surprised that they've changed their tune toward opening up about UAPs, but we'll see uh, what else comes out about that. Uh, if we do get uh, some astronauts coming forward or we do get to see uh, some more videos and things, but I don't know, I'm not going to hold my breath on, on how wonderful those are. And NASA... NASA's pretty much kind of out of the limelight. It seems like, um, you know, most of the, uh, you got Elon Musk with the SpaceX as won the budget pretty much for launching stuff into space. Uh, NASA's still involved. They're still launching stuff into space. They're still doing uh, some testing but obviously they're not launching people into space uh, for, for now 
seems like they've kind of lost their um, kind of their bids to uh, continue the uh, exploration of space with uh, pilots and space shuttles and things like that. But we'll see if they can catch up to the uh, private industries that have kind of stepped forward and, and launched rockets. You know, if we end up doing our own um, kind of space station, then uh, I think NASA will be a little bit more involved in space exploration. But for now, I mean, I don't know. Like, what are they really doing? They're kind of losing out in the space race. So maybe this is just their way of they realize that they're they're kind of losing traction when it comes to all of this. SpaceX is pretty much dominating the rocketeering market. And they're talking about launching shuttles into space. So, you know, NASA's got to do something. And if it can uh, turn in a few reports and a little couple videos, some VHS footage back in the 80s and 90s, then uh, maybe that can secure them a little bit more. You know, they don't shrink that budget. I mean, $22.6 billion. I mean, you need, you got to pay the bills. Can't have that any less than $20 billion. How are you going to pay the, how are you going to keep the lights on down there at uh, Cape Canaveral? I don't know. And I mentioned the congressional meeting from, uh, gosh, when was that? A couple weeks ago. Already, if you're interested, uh, I watched a, a couple of YouTube videos that showed a little bit of it. I don't think I saw it from beginning to end. It seemed it was like all chopped up, so I was confused. I wasn't sure if I saw the whole thing or just bits and pieces of it. I wasn't able to watch it live, being that I was at work. Uh, but if you're interested in reading the entire thing, uh, there is a transcript of that that I've. Uh, Read uh, a little bit ago, earlier today. Um, let see if I can get this link in here. It's from the uh, the debrief.org. So it's uh, just, like I said, the debrief.org. And you have to scroll all the way down to May 18th to uh, get that uh, transcript. So you can read the whole thing. That's pretty interesting. Uh, there's there is a couple of videos, and uh, let's see if this will work. Uh, throw that in the chat room. Eh, of course, it didn't work. Hmm. Well, let's see. Anyway, yes, the debrief.org, and you can see. Uh, the entire transcript, there it goes. Yeah, you got it. Um, pretty interesting. Not really anything mind-numbing, but uh, some kind of, I don't want to say misquotes, but some stuff that will take a little bit out of context, I feel. Uh, reading the words versus what I was seeing plastered all over the Internet. Uh, I think some things, like I said, were taken a little bit out of context from their intended Meaning, but it's a little bit different when you read the words versus hearing them spoken. And of course, it was all there to um, swirl 
the public. Yes, the slash at the end. I'll figure it out one day. So, yes, all this UAP excitement. Everyone's all wound up about it. And, uh, you know, I, I said, well, what's next? What's going to happen? You know, we have this congressional thing. First time in 50 years, people are all excited. What could possibly happen next? And I said it. I said, well, we'll watch. We'll probably get some leaked stuff. Probably won't be all that great, but we'll get some more leaked footage for sure. And uh, sure enough, I was correct. So we did have this NASA uh, kind of out, um, out of the uh, out of the box thinking on their part, saying stepping forward and saying yes, we're going to get involved. But now, also from the debrief.org, there's new footage. New footage recently released that, of course, I wasn't just filmed. You know, it's a couple of years old, three, four years old, almost four years old. Uh, it was uh, taken aboard a U.S. Army AH-64 Apache Apache helicopter. These things are sweet. A little bit bigger than the Cobra. I like the Apache. Reminds me of Blue Thunder. Anybody remember Blue Thunder? 1984 movie. Roy Scheider. No, it doesn't ring a bell. It was a TV show, too. I think it was only one season. It's a pretty good show. I like the movie, though. One of my faves. Got it on VHS somewhere. Anyway, uh, the uh, AH-64 Apache attack helicopter was conducting a training flight in Arizona. Uh, the footage was taken back on November 6th, 2018, and shows three small objects filmed with a targeting and imaging forward-looking infrared camera. Yes, a FLIR, which it seems like all of this stuff that's been released in the last couple of years is, is all FLIR-related. And the camera is aligned with the helmet worn by the air crew. Uh, so essentially the FLIR camera... That's a targeting system, so it's actually attached to the uh, movement of the head. I don't think it's the pilot, probably of the uh, the gunner, the co-pilot, which I think in an Apache, uh, they would sit to the left of the pilot, if you're inside the cockpit, where the Cobra, they sit up and behind, I believe. Um yeah, and the uh, same thing, talking about Blue Thunder, they, they had the same thing. If you watch that, they showed the uh, the, the helmet moving and the, the giant gun in the front would move. So it's the same concept, but instead of a gun, it's a camera. I'm sure they have the, the same thing with a the gun. They probably just flip a switch, and it goes to guns, and they can blow stuff up that they're looking at. Pretty cool. Uh, the video accompanies a story released by, again, the debrief in which they also mention the February 9th, 2021 Tucson Police Department air support encounter, which uh, we talked about here on the show is uh, really a weird story. Uh, probably a lot of people don't remember, but as soon as I saw that, uh, they were talking about Tucson, I, I, it clicked with me. 
Uh, so the Tucson Police Department air support uh, encountered what they called a modified drone. And this drone was performing some really outlandish maneuvers. I wasn't defying physics or anything. It was just performing it in a, in a manner that was very inconsistent with any commercial drone. Uh, you know, nothing you're going to buy at uh, a toy store or hobby shop or anything like that online or anything. Uh, highly modified. This thing was uh, able to outrun a police and border patrol helicopter while performing high-speed maneuvers over many miles of land. Now, that's something that uh, obviously normal drones can't do. Uh, they would lose control of their, um, you know, the controls, because you know, the signal is only going to go so far. So um, they think that maybe they had a, uh, a chase vehicle involved in that incident, or this was done somehow by remote. Uh, something that normal drones, again, would not be capable of doing. And this happened over 45 minutes. And what's funny about that is, is uh, uh, there was a few moments where it looked like the, uh, the drone was kind of uh, out of control, as if maybe it was losing the signal or it was uh, running out of battery. Which that's an awful long time. 45 minutes is beyond the normal battery capability of a, of a drone unless this was fueled by something else which they didn't get too specific about exactly what they saw and the helicopter actually ran out of fuel it had to turn back well it didn't run out of fuel but it had to turn back due to a low fuel uh, so they didn't crash over Tucson strange so they had to break off the chase uh, so back to this November incident with the uh, Apache attack helicopter uh, happened about 40 miles northwest of Tucson, Arizona, which there begs the question, were these incidents related? Uh, happening uh, fairly close in time together, the end of 2018 and uh, the beginning of 2021. So makes you wonder. Uh, are these related? Was this the same object or was it uh, testing of something very similar? Now, if you've seen the video, uh, I don't think it's that remarkable. It's very hard to see what's moving. You can, you can tell. I, I don't know how they tracked it or, or if they actually saw it by eye. Well, obviously they did because the, the uh, helmet would track it. So they were watching whatever this was. Um. But yeah, it's not very remarkable when you're watching it. I was watching it on my computer on full screen, and I was trying to figure it out. And I almost uh, was late to the show tonight, reading the story. Uh, the movement of these objects, uh, there were three uh, unknown objects, kind of like balls of light, I guess. But again, you're looking through a FLIR, so anything warm is going to look white anyway it's going to look uh, that's you know hot it's going to look white but uh, whether it was an actual ball uh, would only be known by the people who are looking at it because um, a flare is going to change the shape of an object what you're seeing is the shape of the signature 
of the object, not the object itself, if that makes any sense. Uh, so the uh, description, when you're reading the story on the debrief.org, it says, uh, quote, as they approach the foothills of nearby Pikachu, it's not really Pikachu, it's Pikachu, Peak. I like to say Pikachu, sounds cute that way. The three unknown objects suddenly appear to rotate around each other as if revolving around an unseen axis, all while maintaining a steady eastward trajectory. Uh, after several rotations, the objects then resume an obtuse triangular formation before speeding out of sight as the Apache begins to take off. So the Apache, I should say unquote, uh, so the Apache is sitting on the tarmac, and you can see the uh, runway numbers, and uh, the helicopter is uh, getting ready to uh, to hover, to take off, and they're watching these objects, apparently. I'd love to hear you know, what was going on in the cockpit. I'd love to hear what they were talking about uh, in the cockpit, but... Um, Interesting. So near this Pikachu Peak, I'm not sure exactly if that was the area where the uh, helicopter, the other helicopters, chased this uh, the object in 2018 or not. Uh, so you wonder were they related? Um, we're not sure. Um, so apparently in the video, I didn't hear anything, but they say that in the video, the Apache pilot could be heard interacting with air traffic control and requesting permission to take off. Uh, there was no mention by air controllers to the pilots or of any air aircraft in, in the area, which um, if you're doing military operations, you're going to be clear. They're going to see something. So obviously nothing showed up on radar. Um or otherwise, they wouldn't. They probably would have scrambled some jets uh, to take a look at what was going on. So who knows? This could have been something with the technology. And unfortunately, you know, we're talking about these FLIR videos. All these UAP videos seem like they're all FLIR. And, and a few of the first ones released were by operators who were new to the technology and also new technology. Uh, installed on aircraft that was being shaken down and they saw these strange things. So uh, some of this could be attributed to user error or user misidentification more than likely. And that might be what we're seeing here. These objects moving around might just be artifacts of the uh, sitting in the cockpit on the tarmac. It might be heat or something else creating uh, these images that we're seeing. Uh, there's really no mention of, of them actually seeing physical objects. So eh, we'll have to we'll have to see. But uh, I think that's all they released. There's really not a whole lot left to go on, but it's interested to see if uh, more will come forward. I'm sure we'll see more videos like this one in the future that uh, really don't have much in the way of explanation. You know, they're talking about this thing being uh, two nautical miles away. Uh, there's a lot of people that are 
thinking that they're figuring this out or that this is a UFO. But once this information gets out to uh, other people, I'm sure we'll see a little bit more uh, dissemination of what possibly we're seeing or good explanations of uh, potential logical explanations. Uh, But so far, this is fairly new. The story uh, broke... Uh, was it uh, the 27th? So, yeah, it's been a few days now. I haven't heard much in the way of other people disseminating it, but we shall see. I'm sure we'll hear more about it. Just like we hear, we'll hopefully hear more about NASA and what they're doing or what they're up to and what they're going to film. And hopefully all that stuff won't be uh, you know, locked away or stamped the... For eyes only. But uh, moving on from our UFO news, we'll can't think of any kind of way to transition to ghost news, but uh, we'll just jump into it, I guess. Both feet. Uh, yeah, so night vision is uh, it's infrared, so that's pretty much the same thing. FLIR is actually a brand name forward looking infrared is a it's the name of a company pretty much FLIR when people say FLIR it's not just a a type of camera it's the brand of a camera Uh, but it's basically infrared and this technology has it's been used in the military for a long long time but it's it's always updating it's always changing and not not everyone's used to using it and you know, I've seen one of the original ones that kept flipping through the different views. And that tells you right there that they don't know what they're doing. Uh, each channel that you look through on infrared channels, uh, whether you have a, a camera, a monocular, a video camera, you know, you can use different settings. The guys on uh, Finding Bigfoot like to use the color where uh, the ghost TV shows, they use, uh, I guess they use the same kind of thing with the, the color, but um, if you're a fireman or other people are trying to see shapes in uh, fires or in the dark, you know, they're going to use the black and white because it's, it's easily, it's not, you're not seeing other things. You're just seeing plain black and white. You're seeing heat and cool, which is really all you need to see. Uh, the fancy colors just look really cool on TV. That's about it. Uh, but um, it can kind of fool you into thinking you're seeing something that you're really not due to uh, refraction and reflection of heat objects. Um, you know, rocks, uh, even trees will hold heat. Uh, rocks will hold a lot more heat than a tree. Uh, grass really doesn't hold anything. Uh, bushes and all that, they don't really hold heat too much. We're looking through an infrared camera. Uh, but trees can be mysterious, exposed branches, especially those facing southward toward the end of the day, will hold a little bit more heat than other parts of the tree that were covered. And if you don't know these things, you're looking through these cameras, especially think about um, uh, the Ghost Hunters TV show. One time they uh, all freaked out about uh, seeing a, a, an object in a room with them, uh, but uh, previously – in uh, one of the night vision cameras, person was uh, leaning up against the wall. So the infrared camera, which detects heat, 
whereas night vision is night vision is similar but it's not picking up heat it's just uh i guess you could say it's blowing up what ambient light is there so you're seeing things almost what you would in the daytime because it's it's taking the the uh the light it's overexposing it so you can see i think that's a better way to explain it uh but the uh there's one of the two ghost hunters. I forget what is. Uh, I was leaning up against the wall, but anyway, they uh, moved the infrared camera to the wall, and you could see the shape outline. That everyone jumped, like, "Oh my gosh, there's a ghost in the room with us!" No, it was just the residual heat of the person leaning up against the wall, and you'll get that with the infrared cameras. People that um, uh, you can get to where somebody touched the wall. You know, a few minutes later, it'll still show the heat signature if it's, you know, if the temperature is uh, good enough to hold that or the object is good enough to hold that. Like you hold a spoon, create heat from it, and you'll see that heat uh, sitting there for quite a while on those things. But anyway, ghost news. Speaking of fleers and seeing in the dark and ghost hunters, um, you know, we talk a lot, you know, and I, I stop and think about some of the stories I do talk about here on the ghost news. I went on a, a quite long rant about ghost adventures last week. Uh, a well-deserved rant, by the way. And stories that we talk about here in the ghost section are generally about people who trespass, they burn things down, they damage places, or they're just doing very unscientific things. Or again, we're just complaining about paranormal television shows. However, this week, I want to share a very positive news story that uh, doesn't look like it got much traction, but uh, came across my desk. And it's the kind of story that I like to talk about. I would rather talk about than complain about Zach Bagans for 25 minutes. Um, It's a very positive news story that uh, it kind of symbolizes where the ghost field is came from what it used to be what it used to mean to me a long time ago uh you don't hear too much about this kind of stuff some groups still do this these sorts of things but it's it's a pretty much unheard of um i mean you look at the last couple of decades paranormal investigators they're pretty much concerned about themselves i mean come on let's let's be real here uh they're concerned about making money and the money isn't just to buy cars or houses or, you know, whatever, but it's about buying tools and technology. It's about getting trips to haunted locations. You know, Waverly Hills isn't free. It's uh, quite expensive. So you got to save up money to travel, to get a hotel. Uh, the last time I did it, uh, we drove around trip, but don't recommend that. It's very, very tired. Um, don't do that. It was like a, we're up for 24 hours, I think. Just crazy. Anyway, um, it seems like it's very self-centered. And, you know, I've come from an era uh, from the uh, mid-1990s when uh, things were a lot different. It was kind of pre-digital age. You know, we still had 35-millimeter cameras. We were still using, like, baby powder to see footprints. Uh, we used streamers on the doors to, ch- to check for wind currents on windows to see if wind was leaking through the, the window, causing drafts. I mean, pretty weird stuff that we used to do 
you know, we didn't have the instant pictures. You had to get your, your film developed. And every group pretty much started out investigating cemeteries, which, gosh, you can't even mention that nowadays for fear of getting attacked. But yes, uh, most of us started out investigating cemeteries, uh, not because we believed ghosts were there, but because it was a scary place and there were dead bodies. So it kind of got you used to being in that kind of environment. And you hoped you got some EVP and you, you kind of hoped something was there. And there was a lot of emotion in those areas. So, you know, that's kind of where a lot of people just kind of broke into it. Uh, you weren't looking to, to get anything to happen, but, you know, it was just the, uh, the feeling, being in that environment. And uh, most of us did that long before ever setting foot into anybody's home to try to help them uh, or get involved with uh, some sort of haunting or, or whatever's happening in their home. Uh, probably took us, when I formed my group, eh, we probably did it way earlier than we should have, but it was still almost say, eight to ten months Maybe. I don't remember. But um, I was reluctant. I didn't feel like we were qualified. You know, and now groups, they just, uh, the the shirts don't even come in the mail. The website's not even done. And they're already in people's homes telling them that it's haunted, uh, giving them their reveal DVD and uh, asking if they could put it on their YouTube channel. That's just how, it's just where we've gone. It's the culture. Thanks, TV shows. All right, I promised I wouldn't rant about the TV shows, but eh, they, they helped, but they didn't help. You know, people claim that uh, the TV shows, Ghost, uh, Ghost Hunters, when it came out in 2004, people claim that that started it all, that after that, that everybody got into the field. Well, it was popular before that. And the TV show was kind of in reaction to the large underground thing that was going on. I mean, those of us who were around, we saw it. It was getting big. You know, around the year 2000, the Internet was taken off. And you, you saw a lot of people getting together, a lot of people talking, a lot of new groups popping up. So it was just a matter of time. And it just uh, kind of brought it to the masses anyway. But anyway, I'm getting way off topic well, not really way off, but uh, yeah, we've kind of gone down that monetary road, um, you know, about, again, funding trips and funding for tools, which, you know, all my stuff came out of pocket, but I learned how to do things without all those fancy gadgets, although, uh, you know, I did have access to a lot of that stuff. We did use it, and I think we spent more time putting it together, testing it, and tearing it down than we actually did investigating sometimes. And I, I think it really took away from the human factor, but that's just me. Uh, but, you know, sometimes raising money is, is a good thing. You know, sometimes people are trying to raise money for a specific building. Maybe they're trying to keep it from getting demolished. Uh, but sometimes that's kind of bad, too. I know I my group kind of, we kind of got into this kind of situation more than once where we were trying to get involved with the building. So uh, we kind of sort of lay claim to it, make it our own um, kind of testing ground. Uh, and a lot of groups do that. Unfortunately, they shoo other groups away, which, you know, that's not really what it's all about. 
Um, so, you know, every group, you know, I'm not saying that I was better. You know, we kind of got swept up into that too. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to hang up my acronym back in uh, 2015. And then there comes the Commonwealth Researchers of the Paranormal. Um, CROP. Every group is an acronym, pretty much. Commonwealth Researchers of the Paranormal, who for the sixth year in a row came out to the Woodland Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia, just before Memorial Day to clean headstones and place flags on graves of fallen soldiers. Now, the group set up a Facebook event for May 28th and uh, say it was pretty successful. Uh, Co-organizer of the event, Dennis Estlock, said, quote, In the grand scheme of things, a soldier is somebody who writes a check to this country up to and equal to the value of their own life. That's not to be taken lightly, and it's not to be forgotten. So we come out, we say their name, we give them a new flag in hopes that they'll never be forgotten again. That's our way of thanking them for what they've done for our country, unquote. Uh, the group placed around 250 flags in the cemetery this year. I'll tell you, this is something we need more of. I mean, I didn't really see a motive. They seem like a pretty normal paranormal group, if there is one. Uh, you know, they, they do go and investigate places. Uh, they do, you know, the ghost hunts and the paranormal investigations, which to me are still two totally different things, although most groups approach it the same way, which you really shouldn't. But uh, to get involved in the community, I think, is extremely important. Uh, you know, I mean, I've kind of asked myself this and I've asked other groups, you know, what what have we done? What have what has your group done? for your community you know going to somebody's house telling them it's haunted giving them uh your take on it and then packing your pelican cases up and, and leaving that's not really doing anything for anybody and you know even if you do offer help bring in a priest cleanse or whatever you do burn some sage get some soot on their walls whatever you do you know what else are we doing what are we doing for the communities are we helping save some of these buildings. Uh, you know, I volunteered uh, at the Mansfield Reformatory. Talk about hard work. Uh, climbing uh, over 100 feet of stairs, carrying heavy brick, throwing it into a dumpster for hours on end. And not, not a lot of fun. It was pretty hard work. But it was, uh, you know, it, it felt good to to give back to a, a building that had character and, you know, a building that you could, uh, you know, spend a lot of time in that building. And it's worth saving. It's not worth saving just because it's on the map. It's it's a haunted location that people go and they investigate and they, they do, uh, you know, group tours or paranormal tours. But it's, you know, it's also ingrained in our culture. So, you know, it goes back to uh, the uh, Civil War time, uh, you know, also being a, uh, a prison, obviously, and 
you know, I don't know, you might have heard of a movie called Shawshank Redemption that was partially, partially shot there. Not the whole thing, partially shot there. It's pretty cool, the, the bullpen where you set up your equipment's in there in the beginning, which is pretty neat. Um, so, you know, movie. there's a few movies that were shot there. Some Some stuff is still left behind in there from those movies. So, you know, some of these paranormal places, uh, they have other things attached to them, not just ghosts. That uh, is meaning for them to be saved. And in the case of this uh, Commonwealth Researchers of the Paranormal, you know, cleaning off headstones and putting out flags may not be a huge deal. But it shows the community that they care, not just about ghosts. You know, but to honor those who have died instead of trying to capture or will them away. It's nice to look to our past and never forget where we came from and those who allow us to live in the way we see fit. That's a nice Memorial Day story. I appreciate them for doing what they did. Again, kudos to the Commonwealth Researchers Paranormal Group out of Richmond, Virginia for actually helping the deceased and helping their community, keeping things clean. Uh, not always a fun thing to do uh, when you hear about other groups trespassing and tearing up things. Uh, unfortunately, I've been a, a part of uh, a community group that went in to clean up damage caused by ghost hunters going in and knocking things over, destroying things. Kind of aggravating. But uh, we're not we're not all in it for the same stuff. But uh, ask yourself if you're a paranormal investigator, you're running a group. What have we done for our community? Uh, you know, everyone claims to be nonprofit organizations, even though you're probably not. If you haven't filed paperwork with your state, you're not officially a 501c3. You're not technically a nonprofit organization. Putting that on your website doesn't automatically get you that tax status. Um, but volunteering in the community, whether you're a nonprofit or not, I think it's important. Help save something. Help clean something up. You know, even cleaning up a road of trash, which is a, you don't see those signs too much anymore, but it used to say, you know, this section of highway owned by so-and-so and such-and-such. And such. That used to be the big thing. But, uh, I don't know. Do something, that's all I'm saying. Uh, anyway, the biggest story this week, talking about money and buying things, uh, some people save up for uh, tech. Some people, you know, want the uh, the fastest car, biggest house. What well, what about an old house? What about a, a super haunted house? Well, the biggest ghost story of the week is not about a team. It's not about equipment, but it is about a house, the home that inspired the 2013 movie The Conjuring. Was up for sale. It's been up for sale for a while. Uh, was actually investig investigated by the famous Ed and Lorraine Warren back in 1971. Uh, it was uh, the home was recently sold for 1.5 million dollars. 1.5 million dollars. That's a lot of cash. 
That's a lot of ghost hunts. That's a lot of black t-shirts with your ghost emblem on it and your acronym on the back that you'd have to sell to get that house. So the house is, in case you're curious, you want to go look at it. It's uh, readily available on Google Maps. You can you can search for it. It's at uh, 1677 Round Top Road in Burlville, on Burlville Road. And, uh, it's in... Uh, that's just south of the Massachusetts border in Rhode Island. Confusing thing about this, though, it says that it says that it was built in 1736. Although, if you go to the listing for the home, it says 1836, but I'm pretty sure it was 1736. Cape Cod style home, and the uh, the new owner, Jacqueline Nunez. Uh, she's actually the owner of Wonder Group a Boston-based real estate developing company. Uh, she um, she paid a little bit too much. So the asking price was a cool $1.2 million. But Nunez uh, just felt she had to own the house, so she paid an extra $300,000. She's got an extra $300,000 sitting around. Why not? And remember that figure. $300,000. It was actually... Three hundred and well, three hundred and five thousand. I think she paid extra. Uh, Nunez quickly booked a daytime paranormal tour at the home. Two days after she heard about the home being for sale, granted the home has been for sale since I think September of last year because we talked about it here. Uh, she made the trip from her home in Boston. It's like uh, a couple hours, an hour, something like that. Depends on traffic. She uh, left work early that Monday uh, to scope out the 8.5-acre area of land. Uh, the 3,100-square-foot home, 14 rooms in that thing. That's pretty big for a home, 1736. Anyway, uh, she went to a tour without divulging her interest in buying the home. Uh, however... Uh, after talking to the owners, walking the property, seeing uh, the, the beautiful landscape and the beautiful home, uh, she got home and she decided to write up an offer right then and there. So that was Monday evening. By Thursday, Corey and Jen Heinzen, the owners of the home, closed on the deal for $1.525 million. So I guess, yes, yeah, she spent uh, 325 thousand extra 325 so keep that in mind 325,000 over the asking price that's a lot of money I mean it took me a while to close in my house uh, the deal was finalized where else but Facebook live I mean you buy a house like this you got to go live with it right I mean who wants it who doesn't want attention for that um and as of uh, Thursday afternoon, she was showing the, the uh, home around to people uh, from her new property after broadcasting it on the Internet. Uh, however, the strange stipulation in the story, if you've read it, she won't be allowed to live in the home. Which is weird. Like you buy a house, but you're not, you have to sign a thing that says you're not allowed to live there. Well, not full time anyway. 
A part of the conditions of the sale was that whoever buys the home cannot live there year round. Now, this is purportedly due to the Heinzen's experiences in the home, stating there's too much negative energy for anyone to stay there full time. Now, Nunez is a believer in the paranormal. Uh, she's had her own personal experiences of being touched by an entity, I believe, while showing a condo in Boston. Uh, she doesn't plan on changing the home too much, uh, nor the culture kind of surrounding it. And she's going to honor all of the bookings and overnight stays for 2022 for paranormal tours and groups. She said her reasons for buying the home were personal, but she also plans on continuing to keep the home open to paranormal investigators. So she uh, states that she's got to make some money. She's paying for it. So it looks like um, she's going to continue to use the uh, property to generate some income. And one of the reasons why the home was on the market, you might wonder, why well, sell the home? Is it because it's haunted? People are freaking out about it. Uh, but no. One of the highest reasons that this property has been sold was due to frequent trespassers to the site, which obviously if you're uh, broadcasting this story on Facebook Live, and uh, this is carried by a, a lot of newspapers, uh, it's not going to die down anytime soon. No pun intended. Uh, the home was uh, put up for sale again last September for $1.2 million. Now remember, Nunez uh, overspent 325000 just to get this thing. I don't know what the deals, I don't know what the stipulations or why. Uh, and the Heinzens, they bought the home from Norma Sutcliffe back in 2019. Again, I think we talked about that here on the Paranormal News Insider. And they paid... The Heinzens are a paranormal investigation group who have been to a, a number of places and uh, now own this property. But they turned around just two years' time and sold it. Now, the Heinzens bought the home from Norma Sutcliffe. They paid a whopping $439,000. Wowzers. That tells you what the home market is uh, right now. Um, they got a pretty good return on investment, uh, Flipping that home for that much money, that's a pretty good deal. And they they almost got what uh, they paid for it from the difference in what the, the asking price was. That, that was kind of my thing behind that. Um, but the previous owner, Norma Sutcliffe, had a lot of problems with trespassers. And she went so far as to actually suing Warner Brothers. In 2015, over the movie, uh, The Conjuring, due to the high amount of trespassers to the property, uh, which did lead to her selling the home at a uh, seemingly pretty steep discount just to get out from underneath it. And uh, I would say that the uh, new owner is going to have the same problem. Uh, going to have to invest in some fences, some security, some cameras, uh, rent-a-cop, something. A little Segway patrolling the property, something, but it's going to happen. Uh, it's on the map, people that go to that area. I mean, Boston's a pretty big metropolis. There's a lot of cities. It's not too far away from a lot of places. Uh, so, oh man, I regret it too. I actually was in the area once and 
so had been up i got stuck in somewhere in new york i think too long we were headed through that area and took way too long i would have gone by that house pretty cool anyway um so yeah begs the question i see the question in the chat i should say is the ufo hearing this year's top story well it might be and now that it's the end of may as the calendar turns to june in just a few hours three hours from now um the year is halfway over almost as we get through the midpoint of june so uh, coming up in a few weeks we'll stop and we'll take a look back so far at 2022 and, and kind of look at that we'll explore what have we seen so far this year what could possibly be the big top stories of 2022 so far and where are we headed next i uh, usually like to do a little bit of year in review mid-year year in review because uh, we do tend to forget about stories that have happened earlier in the year but i'd say yeah that ufo hearing is uh, pretty high up there as far as the uh paranormal stories are concerned uh, and um hopefully we'll continue to get some uh big stories and we'll explore that next week i don't know if we'll talk mid-season next week it depends on the news but uh, it's possible that we'll cover that topic look back now i'm kind of thinking i want to kind of start looking at some stories see where we've come already uh but that being said we'll uh, wrap it up for tonight appreciate everybody for showing up in the chat room listening live wherever you're at all over the world yes i see you in england I see you watching. That's cool. It's kind of late for you, but that's all right. I appreciate you staying up late. And you in California for getting, uh, let's probably listen on your way home from work. Appreciate that. And I will see you next week. I'll try to be here on time, but for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believe in for the paranormal news insider this is dr brian d parsons reporting